Father, we thank you for this opportunity, the opportunity to, to worship you, to sing to you, and hopefully have our hearts encouraged, our, our sins forgiven, our depression released. Lord, whatever it is we're going through, Father, we know that you are here for us and that through Jesus, you meet all of our needs. Thank you, Father. Just pray now, God, that you open our eyes in your word, open our hearts, and, um, and move our wills, Father, to the service you've called us to serve. Thank you. In Christ's name, we give you praise. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Can, I, can I get a bottle of water, somebody? So someone back there listening, bottle of water. We're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 12. I want to read to you verses 1 and 2, which we did last week, because verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 set us up for the entire rest of the book. So I'm going to come back to that constantly in the weeks ahead. So let me read to you Romans 12, 1 and 2. There will not be a slide for it. Open your Bibles. If you need a Bible, ushers will bring you one. Um, I just saw the ushers leave to get me water. If you need, when they come back in, raise your hand for a Bible. Um, but listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2, I, last week's text. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So those two things control the rest of Romans, the idea of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, who you are in this body, this, this belongs to God. I now present it to you, God, as an instrument to be used for your purposes. Then renew our minds, because we believe things that are not biblical. We believe things that are from the world, from the God of this age. We need to renew our minds and replace error with truth as we move forward in this life. And both of these things are a lifelong process, learning how to understand who I am and life in this body, and I belong to God. I need to use my body for him and the things I think and believe to renew them constantly to God's way of thinking. In light of that, we will look at the life of a community. I titled this sermon, The Community Life of the Redeemed. Paul has explained to us the gospel, how a people has been redeemed. In fact, in fact, Paul, in another passage, Titus 2.13, he says that Jesus redeemed us, a people for his own possession, who would be zealous for good deeds. So there's a reason beyond, beyond God loves me and wants to forgive me, he's redeemed me for a purpose, and that is good deeds. Thank you, sir, very much. I bet you 10 bucks I spill it. I was going to see, I controlled myself there. I, have, I was going to be a smart aleck. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to promise it's going to last, but. So, I want to read to you Romans 12, 3 through 5, as we look at this idea of a community life is foundational to spiritual growth. I'll read that again. Community life is foundational to spiritual growth. Let me read to you Romans 12, 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of 
I get two bottles. Here, you take this then. Take this. Take this. You're a good man. Okay. I want to talk about verses 4 and 5, then we'll go back to verse 3. So verses 4 and 5 introduce this idea of a body. It, it, it's, it's, I, I want to call it a metaphor at first, then I'm going to change my mind in a moment about calling it a metaphor. Because metaphors are, are something we borrow from the world to, to some imagery we're all familiar with that point to a spiritual truth. And um, so I'll come back to, I think, I choosing the body metaphor is an understatement. But we are all in Christ. Do you understand that? If we go back to Romans 6, the idea that you were put in Christ. You were buried with him in baptism. You, d- you died with him, buried. You were raised up with him. So you were in Christ. And the scripture teaches us that this idea of being in Christ, we become one with him. He is the head. He is the head, and we are his body. So, yes, it's a metaphor to give us an imagery, but it's more than that. Just as you, a physical body. So imagine right now, get into your head right now, that, that you are the controller of your physical body. And, and much of it is, is involuntary. Much of my body, bodily functions is involuntary. I don't control them. They just happen. But, but I decide to raise my hand right now. I decide to walk this way. I decide to walk that way. My head controls my body. So Christ is the head of everyone who believes in him. And everyone who believes in him is his body. So yes, it's a metaphor, but it's also a reality. And the reality is that we are one. We belong to each other, and collectively we belong to Christ. I learned this week something I missed last week. Back in verse 2 or verse 1, it says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies, plural. Each one of you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, singular. I didn't see that last week. That collectively, Paul is telling his readers, individually present your bodies, but then when he talks about a living sacrifice, he makes it singular. Is there an implication that we are to do this as one? I really wonder if we have an insufficient understanding, an insufficient commitment to the concept of the body of Christ that there is one group of people called the people of Jesus. And we are united as one, and we are to live like that. We're going to see in a minute how the oneness of the body is gifted in great diversity, just like your physical body. You know, if you could count all the parts of your body, I mean, right down to some incredibly minute details, there'd be thousands of parts of the body. And so that imagery Paul mentions in verse Um, four and five, as far as the body, just like your physical body has a head and many members, so we too have one head, Jesus, and we are members of that body. So we we need to, 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 I I want to make this positive to encourage you, but but I have to start with a, a, a sobering reality. I think our American individualism has so distorted our understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ This is an area we need to renew our minds, that you don't belong to yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. And and then then you belong to me, and I belong to you. And we're going to learn today that God has a design here for us to live in community to such a degree that the world says, 
There's something different about those people. I want to know their Jesus. And I would suggest maybe we have downplayed that. We've kind of we've kind of taken participation in the body as selective. I will commit to certain things when I'm ready, when I'm when it fits my schedule, when I can hang around with certain people because most of you I don't want to be around. You know, that, that's not my way of thinking. That's someone else's way of thinking. As opposed to, no, this concept needs to drive my life. And by the way, it's more than Sunday morning. It's more than Sunday morning. Because often Sunday morning, and we're trying to figure this out here in this church. Sunday morning is often, we're up here and you're down there. So we're the actors and you're the observers. And that's not what the body is. The body is everyone is an actor. And so Sunday morning has a, a very narrow purpose. The narrow purpose is to gather, to worship together, and to be taught. So that means Monday through Saturday, we have to spend time together. We've got to figure out how do we live life together. And frankly, it's one reason I left a large church in Reno and came here. Because I learned that in a large church in Reno, a couple thousand people, that you'd see people Sunday morning, you might see them, and out of four weekend services, you might see them you know, once a month. And you certainly didn't see them during the week because they lived all the way across town. And as my understanding grew, what it meant to grow in community, that my spiritual growth, me becoming like Jesus, depends upon you ministering to me and vice versa. But if I don't see you all week long, the whole Sunday service becomes the point of spiritual growth. And this is limited in what it can do in your life. It's core to what it does in your life, but it's limited. I need to see you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I need to be with you. And this is this speaks so against all of our Western individualism that we need to renew our minds on it. We need to talk to God about it. We need to talk to each other about it. So let's go back up to verse 3 then. Talk about grace, humility, and sober thinking. I wanted to go to 4 and 5, and I'll go back to 3. I want to walk you through verse 3 here. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, let's stop there. When Paul says, by the grace given to me, he, he mentions that very phrase four or five other times, but he puts this word in there, by the grace given to me as an apostle, by the grace given to me in my apostleship. What Paul is saying is the grace of God has bestowed upon me the gift of an apostle. Now as an apostle, I'm saying to you, people in the church of Rome. So I want you to understand this. The word grace in Greek is charis. Say that with me, charis. That's the word grace. We're going to look at the concept of spiritual gifts now. The word in Greek for spiritual gift is charisma. Say that. Charisma. So charis is the concept. It's the power of God in your life. Charisma, which comes from charis, is an ability it's more concrete. So your spiritual gift and gifts are from God's grace. So when Paul says, by the grace given to me, he's talking about the fact that God has bestowed upon him being an apostle. And now he says, because of that grace, which produced in me a position of authority in the church, here's what I say to you. So he's talking to us today. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This includes Paul. See, if anyone could think high of themselves, it would be Paul. 
And he's an apostle. My goodness, do you get any better than that? But how did he become an apostle? By the grace of God. And grace, by definition, is unearned. So no one gets to say, whoa, look at me and my spiritual gifts. Because I'm better than you, and I earned it. By definition, grace is unearned. It's something God bestows upon those who don't deserve it. So Paul is chosen as an apostle, and he says, I don't deserve this. In fact, what he says later in his life, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of any sinner on earth because I persecuted the church. But God saw fit to have grace upon me and make me a leader in the church. It's all about him. So each of us need to grasp whatever bestowment God has put upon us in our giftedness is not grounds for boasting at all because it comes from him. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's not because of how tar- smart you are, how, how, how good looking you are, or whatever other attributes important to you. It's entirely based upon his grace. So as Paul does that, but to think with sober judgment. And sober judgment doesn't mean you didn't drink a beer today. Okay? The word sober can certainly imply not being drunk. But in this case, sober, sober judgment is being serious. You know, being very serious about your conclusions about who you are and what God has done in your life. And so, so, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So right now we have this idea that God has given you a measure of faith. This faith, this isn't the faith to believe in Jesus because he gives that too. This is the faith on how you step out and serve Jesus. And there's different measures of faith given to different people. The grace is from him. It's a gift. And this faith given to you is from him. So everything's from him. So, so based upon, let's just be real. Who I am, everything about me as a Christian is a gift from God. And there's no grounds for boasting. In the church today, I would suggest to you that the area of spiritual gifts is a source of great pride in the church. And it's not new. It was the same thing in the early days. The, the, the church at Corinth, they were arrogant about their gifts. And Paul had to, to really knock them down several notches to remind them this is from God's grace. So it all comes from God. and There's nothing to be prideful about. So, so far, that's verses 3 through 5. We have the idea of it comes from God's grace. Even the faith you have to exercise the gifts you have is from God. He gave it to you. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And we are one body. And this one body, just like this physical body, has multiple members. So the body of Christ has multiple members. And your participation in that body is determined by the gift or gifts God has given you. You with me so far? Now, most of us have some, if you've been a Christian any time, we have some understanding of spiritual gifts. If you're new here today to the faith or have never been taught this, the Bible describes in the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, and Romans chapter 12, this concept of the body of Christ. We are one, we are united, there's a unity, but that unity is expressed in a diversity because we are all different based upon how God has made us. And that diversity is supposed to be in full display so that our unity can be put forth to the world and they are attracted to our Savior. So what I'm going to ask you today is, as we go through this, 
Do you grasp who you are, how God has gifted you, and are you engaged in how God has gifted you to serve his purposes? Or is your faith more about you and what you gain from this? And I would say if that second part is true, which is true of every one of us to a certain degree, every one of us, is there's a certain measure of self-absorption in my faith. Um, and you guys pay me. Sometimes I feel guilty in sermons like this to tell you, get more involved, practice your gifting, blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, we're gonna, you're going to do it for free, but you pay me to do it. And so I always have to ask myself, what do I do for God's people that I would do even if I wasn't paid? And it's always important when I tell people who are paid to minister, understand we're asking people in our church to work full-time and then come and volunteer for hours. So don't think everything you do as a paid minister is your job. What do you do because you love Jesus? What do you do because you love the people of God? All right, that, that was for free. So important aspects to discuss regarding spiritual gifts. So I'm going to get kind of topical for a moment, then we'll come back to the text. First of all, each of us has been gifted differently. All right? So there's multiple, there's multiple parts in the body, right? This body, we're not all a thumb. We're not all a mouth. We're not all a foot. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. The idea that there's, there's this great diversity, and one part can't say the other part, I don't need you. One part can't say the other part, I'm more important than you. Because when the body doesn't function in, in, in its entirety, what do you call a body that only works halfway? Frozen, disabled, all, all sorts of imagery, half dead. Um, and, and so the question is, if we're not all functioning, the body of Christ in Cornerstone Community Church in Incline Village, Nevada, is half dead. Thank you. Um, is it? Is it? So each of us are gifted differently. Whatever you think of Rick Warren, Rick Warren's a pastor of Saddleback Community Church. And he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. It has sold 50 or 60 million copies. It, it is actually, last I checked, the number one hardback book ever in history to sell. You won't hear that in the New York Times. Um, but he had a concept in there that, that I think was very useful. It's called shape. How many of you are familiar with Rick Warren's shape? Shape is the idea of this. The word shape is an acronym. So I'm just going to do this quickly, and you guys can process this. Um, there's a lot of things about Rick Warren. Like I said, I don't agree with that, but this, he was brilliant on this. Shape is this. Your spiritual gifts, this is who you are. This is your shape. Your spiritual gifts, your heart's desire. God puts desires on your heart. So you may have a spiritual gift of compassion, let's say, but your desire of your heart is different with someone else who has a gift of compassion. You with me? your spiritual gift, your heart's desire, your abilities that God has given you, your personality, and your experience. Spiritual gift, heart's desire, abilities, personality, and experience. That's your shape. That makes you incredibly unique. The spiritual gifts you have may be the same as the person next to you or behind you, but your experiences in life may be utterly different to where to you, you want to use your gift of teaching to reach people who, who struggle with their addictions because you have beat your addiction. Where someone else says, I don't relate to that. God uses them somewhere else. So every person here is unique. 
And that's just not one of those modern psychological babble to make you feel good about yourself. You have unique experiences, unique personalities and abilities designed by God to be an instrument in his hand to serve his people so that we as the people of God can reach the world. Let me, let me back up for a moment. What's the purpose of the body of Christ, the church? Love God, love others. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You Presbyterian? Okay, because that was the first question of the Presbyterian Catechism, the great Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that, that permeates our churches in thinking, whether you're Presbyterian or not. Well, it, I love it, but it's, it's a bit um, vague. How do you glorify God? By doing what he made you to do. What did he make us to do? Make disciples of all nations. And every one of you have been gifted and uniquely shaped to be involved in other people's lives to help them grow as a disciple of Jesus. Whether you, your unique shape is to help people enter the faith, to help young believers grow, to, to lead mature believers, wherever it is, you've been uniquely shaped to be part of one body that is an instrument in God's hands to disciple the nations. That's why we wake up every day. And God has given us great opportunities and blessings and privileges that we enjoy everything outside these doors. That's why we live here. But if we turn that into our purpose, we are most to be pitied. And we turn his beautiful creation into our purpose as opposed to enjoying his beautiful creation as we realize our purpose is to see people come to faith and grow into faith and be presented to him holy and blameless someday. All right, so that's, I meant to say that up early. So the second point, the, the spirit decides what gifts a person gets. First Corinthians is very clear on this. All of these gifts, Paul just listed, by the way, we're going to look at about six or seven gifts in Romans today. There's about 20 of them listed in the New Testament between Ephesians, Corinthians, 1 Peter, and this passage. There's about 20 different gifts mentioned. I don't think that's exhaustive. In no list does Paul say this is it. He, he lines out four different times lists, and Peter does one. Um, I don't think it's exhaustive, but, but it gives us a place to start. So, But who, who decides which one you get? The Spirit of God does. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit decides your role in the body of Christ. And who better to do it? Who better to do it? Now, can, can we trust him that he has equipped me to be the person he wants me to be? And in the same passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 18, as God is described, or Paul's describing this body, because as it is, Paul says, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. So let's understand that. The Spirit of God decides how you're gifted. But let me ask you a question to think about. Can I ask for a gift that I don't have? I think so. I actually think 1 Corinthians 14 shows that, but I'm not going to take you there right now. But let me check your motive. Here's how I think it should work. I say, God, I see a hole in the ministry of my church. 
Something's not happening here. I'm not going to say, God, that you didn't equip people to do it because God, God doesn't make mistakes. But possibly, God, the people you equipped aren't doing it. So enable me to do it, God. Gift me to step into that gap to serve others. If I think that's our motive, he'll do it. If our motive is, God, I really like that gift because it makes me look cool. I think he's going to say, try again tomorrow. So, so that's one thing. The spirit decides what gifts a person gets. Next, the purpose of our gifts is the building up of others. It's not for me. It's for you. So, so the, what does the hand exist for? So I, I have a, a 15-month-old grandson at my house right now. I was watching him eat breakfast this morning. What is his hand for? Shoving things into his mouth. He figured it out very young. The hand doesn't exist to serve its own purposes. The hand exists to feed my body, to scratch my back, or my wife's hand exists to scratch the part of the back I can't reach. Um, so, so we get that, that my gifts are not for me, they're for others. Same thing in the spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And, and this is what's so important. If we're going to be an effective tool in God's hands, you must engage how God has shaped you, how he's equipped you. Because if you don't, we are now handicapped. We are now hamstrung. And we can't do the things God has called our church to do if each one of us doesn't step into it. And, and this, again, this, one of these kind of sermons can kind of be a pathetic, do more, do more. And that's not what I'm doing here. I guess what I'm saying is, Let's step into who we are, who God has made us to be, and there's joy in that. There's fulfillment in it. So this isn't about a guilt trip. This is a, hopefully a motivation to say, to borrow a slogan from one of the military services, be all you can be. Wow. So which branch of the military is that? Army, okay. The army, the army of, the, the, the army of one, which that was such a lie. <laughs> Anyone in the army? You became part of a group. You weren't one. Anyways, let's, let's get back here. Okay. In the body of Christ, we exist to benefit others. Listen to Jesus, who is our head, who we emulate, who we are made into, we are being conformed to his image. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to and give his life as a ransom for many. And then he tells us the greatest act of love any person can do is to give up his life for another. And so men, Father's Day. Do you love your wives? I was really hoping for a more robust answer. Um, men. Would you die for your wives? That's, I'll turn that into a positive answer. I would suggest to you dying for your wife is easy. Easier than living for your wife. Do you hear the difference? To wake up every day and say, God... 
Today I want to honor my wife and love her like you love her and me. Lead me and guide me to show her how amazing she is. And in a marriage, that, that's what makes an incredible marriage. So, so men, men I, I honor you for that attitude. Um, we can all grow in it. It needs to be in the body of Christ too. God, use me today to serve my brothers and sisters in your family. And if you call me to die for them, it's the greatest honor I could do. In our country, that's not called, we're not called upon to do that yet. So, we need to renew our minds about my purpose. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. We need to present this body to God and say, God, use me, physically use me, my hands, my feet, my mouth, everything about me to serve your people. I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. So, Downstairs, Jessica is with her children. She needs people to present their bodies as living sacrifices to help pull off the soccer camp. And you may say, you know, I'm pretty busy this summer. Do I really have time? And you have to ask yourself, you need to renew your mind. Have you made your summer so full of pleasure for you and you forgot the people of God? Say, God, is this an opportunity for me to renew my mind to say, really, where, where real fulfillment comes and purpose in your hands is to serve our children by hosting one of these soccer coaches, by pulling my wallet out and writing a check of my excess so that some kid who has nothing can go to this camp. This, this is what it means to renew our minds to our daily purpose and present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. This is the last two verses of chapter, this is chapter 4, 1 through 16 is about spiritual gifts, about the unity of the body and the diversity of the body through spiritual gifts. And this is how Paul caps off this concept. So we're supposed to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up into him in every way. We are to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love so are you as a part of your the body of Christ working properly am i working properly this is this is I happen to believe the 2080 rule probably applies to the church. You know what the 2080 rule is? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think that applies to the body of Christ. And I'd like to see our church change that. And watch what happens in our church and in our community when a couple hundred people say, I'm in. I'm yours, God. Use me. I think we see amazing things. So love is the key to this strategy. Jesus said, by this, all men will know your disciples if you love one another. If my love for you and your love for me is evident, people are going to go, I, I need that. Why would you love each other like that? And we say, let me tell you about our Jesus. So by our love, they'll know who we are. 
So do you know what your spiritual gifts are? How do you know what your spiritual gifts are? There's these things called inventory, so little tests you can take. I don't think they're very useful personally. You can disagree with me on that. I think what they are is, is um, you take a little test, like, like 100 or 200 different questions about your, your, your interests and, your, and, your, and how you live your life and people. And, and, and in the end, they say, oh, this is your spiritual gift. The, um, they're useful for a conversation starter, but they don't determine your gift. I, I remember we were in a Bible study when I was a brand new Christian. And um, I was convinced my spiritual gift was giving. Um, my wife and I were, were pretty much giving everything away that didn't take to live daily to a ministry in Mexico. And it was primarily out of guilt. But I had something other people didn't have. So I was giving it away. And I joined a Bible study. We were together a couple years. And when it came time to you know, tell your spiritual gift, you weren't allowed to say what you had, what you thought it was. The people who knew you well would go around the room and say, Tony, this is how you've ministered to me. I'd been a Christian about two, three years. And going around the room, there's about a dozen people. And I wasn't the leader of the Bible study. I was a fairly new Christian. But going around the room, they all said, Tony, you, we think you're a teacher because you minister to us when you explain the word. I said, I, I'm not the Bible study leader. What are you talking about? My gift is giving. And, um, and they said, Tony, you, we grow when you talk. We grow in the word. It was brand new to me. So I quit giving. And um, <laughs> you knew the smart aleck was going to come out, didn't you, Joe? What I did was I shifted why I give. Because the passion of giving was out of guilt that I, I had more than someone else, as opposed to, God, you've blessed me. I can bless others. So I still believe it's one of my gifts. But how do you discover your own gift? It requires you to be deeply active in people's lives. And if you're not active in someone's life, you say, I'm going to sit here until God tells me my gift so then I can be active. It doesn't work that way. You ever heard the expression, God doesn't steer a parked car? Think about that. He can't steer a parked car. You have to put it in drive and get moving. I went to Bible college to become a missionary. I wanted to go to the foreign field and be a missionary. And it was in Bible college that God stirred me to the pastoral ministry. I had to get moving. My plan was to go there. He took me there. God doesn't steer a parked car. So I say this to you. How do you get moving? Look, what, look around you, the people in this church, and ask God, show me some needs that need to be met this week. Just a need that I can meet one time. Then show me some needs that I could step into. Maybe I, 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 I minister monthly or weekly. And then, Lord, equip me to do that. Get moving. Step out. Get out of your comfort zone and watch what God does in your life as you minister to other people. Okay, I'm so far over now, and I haven't got back to the text. See, normally I would correct this for the second service, but guess what? There's no second service. And there's nobody waiting out there to come in, so hang on. We're going to finish this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through 6 through 8. Paul lists certain gifts here that he, 
He assumes this applies to the Corinthians or the, the Romans. And I'm sure his, his mind, this isn't arbitrary. This didn't run off a list in his mind. There's probably something he's, he thinks, these are the ones I want them to emphasize. And so I'm just going to walk through them. Um, so, and so he says this in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Remember, how did Paul become an apostle? By the grace of God. You've been given grace. And your gifts, charisma, come from this grace. So gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Um, let us use them. So here's my point. You've got to use them. They're given to you for use. So, so if I never use this hand, and this has to do all the work, you're never going to understand a single thing I write ever again. Because I can't even write with my right hand, let alone my left hand. So if you're a right hand, you need to use, you need to be a right hand. That's what he's saying here. So if your gift is prophecy, he says this, um, in proportion to our faith. So this is a contested translation. I don't have time because I'm taking too long. But the question here is, is, my, is the level of my prophecy related to how much faith I have? Or another translation is, if your gift is prophecy, it's according to the standard of the faith. All right? So it could be subjective. How much faith you have determines your level of prophecy. Or when you prophesy, when you receive revelation from God and then you express it to the people of God, it needs to be according to the faith already revealed. Both are true in Scripture. So I'll let you work through that. There's a, there's a, I'm not going to go through that slide right now. Um, um, but, the, but there's a gift where you receive revelation from God for the purposes of other people. That's called prophecy. Then it says, um, verse 7, if service in your serving. In other words, if your gift is service, then serve other people. And here the idea of service is, um, did, I, did I skip one? Okay, so, so what's serving? This, this one's simple. So some of the gifts aren't well-defined. Others are obvious. What does it mean to serve? Simply, what do you need? What do you need? Do you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the people gifted with service. I wouldn't be up here talking to you if multiple people who simply have the gift of service don't do what they do all week long and on Sunday morning so that you can come in and have a great experience. They simply say, you know what, I'm here to serve. What do you need me to do? The next one. The one who teaches, get the teaching. That's my love. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. Here the word exhorts, the NIV translates as encourage. So do you see a difference between exhortation and encouraging? The two English words mean different connotations to me. Um, encouragement is coming alongside and, and rubbing someone's back and saying, I'm really sorry, brother or sister. I'm sorry about what you're going through. I'm trying to encourage them. Exhortation is kind of, hey, dude. Get a move on here. Daryl, what did you say the other one was? Admonishment is what? Slap in the back of the head. Only do that to certain people. But, but, but the point is, God has gifted some of you to come alongside others to, because of sadness or depression to lift them up or because of inactivity to motivate them to move along. We need that in each other. The one who contributes in generosity. This is a gift of giving. And I know people in this church who are incredibly generous. Incredibly. And I, would, I believe everybody, everyone is required to encourage. Everyone's required to serve. Everyone's required to give. 
These aren't certainly, I made a joke earlier, I quit giving because it wasn't my gift. All these things are things we step into, but some of us are endowed with special abilities and motivations that we exceed other people's performance or level of activity because God has given us that grace. And there's some people in this room that are very generous. There's people in this room that have this gift and need to step into it, not just for this church, but frankly, the people of Incline Village, if we came together, the people of Incline Village, believers in Incline Village, we could alleviate extreme poverty in small cities around the world. We really could if, obviously, if the infrastructure allowed it of that city. You know, I, I'm not naive. But we've been so blessed. If you have that gift, do it generously. D- don't stop at that 10% that says, hey, I did my part. The rest is mine. Okay, that's another sermon. Sorry. <laughs> then the one who leads. The one who leads with zeal. So the word lead there. Um, can be referred to administration or leadership. <clears throat> and so the administration today we kind of see is behind the scenes. Leadership is standing up front. <clears throat> Either way, you have to be zealous about it. Get excited about your leadership. The one who does acts of mercy, this one is interesting, with cheerfulness. So I, I said, well, why? I would presume someone who's merciful would naturally be cheerful. But then I got thinking about it. People... Who, who are merciful to others, they spend their time around people who are down and out. So it could become where the down and out drag down the merciful. So what he's saying here is in your mercy, make sure you stay cheerful so that you're pulling people up in your mercy and you're not getting pulled down in it. So here's the point. Paul stops there. His point is this. Exercise your gift. I gave it to you. It's a grace gift. I gave it to you to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you all grow up to maturity in love and the world says, I want to be part of the people of Jesus. So we need to step into it. It's a good thing. This isn't about guilt. I hope you hear that. It's an opportunity we have to renew our minds about our individualism, renew our minds about our selfishness, and step into an opportunity that I become an instrument in the hands of God along with you so that we collectively offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You with me? Father, we thank you for your word today. Work in our hearts. Show us the things we believe, Lord, we need to renew to truth. Show us areas of our life, Lord, opportunities every day that we can serve others. If, Lord, we're uncertain what we're supposed to do, And just open a door. Open a door and say, Tony, step through that door and watch what I'm going to do. And give us the courage to do that stepping through. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. And now as we participate in communion, I I hope you are honored as we remember all that you did to make us yours. In Christ's name, we thank you. Amen. We take communion the first and the third Sundays of the month. And we used to do it to where you'd walk up and you would eat the bread and drink the cup right here and go sit down. We changed that. And I want to tell you why today, more specifically, because communion is a community event as opposed to individualist thing. So I want you to come up and get the elements, sit back down, and we'll participate as the body of Christ. So we have stations up front and in the back. 
So let's divide up in four sections, grab your elements, and sit back down. We'll partake together. Titus 2.14, I mentioned this verse at the beginning of the message. It's one long sentence, so I'm just going to change the beginning wordy to turn it into an individual sentence. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. How did he redeem you? Hint. He came in a physical body like yours and mine, obeyed his Father in every aspect of life, and became the spotless Lamb of God who gave up his life. In our stead, he became sin so we could become righteous. But it was more than just forgiving us, according to this, it was to purify for himself a people for his own possession so he could become the Lord of a people that serve his purposes through good works.
more so. He could become the head of a body of which the head directs the body. So today, as we participate in this, we need to rejoice in our forgiveness and our redemption, which this represents. But beyond that, let's grasp the price paid so we could become a people for his possession would be zealous for good deeds. So let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for the bread, that the body of Christ broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. You've taken our sin. You who deserved nothing but honor and praise became sin on our behalf. Jesus, we thank you. And open our eyes today, Lord, to the ramifications of how we live each day because of how you lived. Let's participate. Testament, they would take the blood of bulls and goats as payment for sin. And in Exodus chapter 24, when the Mosaic law was inaugurated, when the Ten Commandments and the whole law was inaugurated, Moses sacrificed multiple animals, and he took that blood and he sprinkled it on the people. Pretty disgusting, vivid picture, isn't it? It was the picture of, of blood bringing their forgiveness. But we learned in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. So instead of Jesus sprinkling his blood on us externally, what does he tell us to do with it? Take and drink. The external blood of animals did not take away your sin. Jesus symbolically said, now take my blood and drink it. There's an internal change that I'm now redeemed and purified to be his. Father, we thank you for this amazing both symbol and reality that the blood of Christ not only cleanses us, but changes us. Thank you, Father, for that change. And I know everyone in this room, Lord, wants in their heart of hearts to be an instrument in your hand. So, Lord, work through our doubts, our fears, our selfishness to make a people for your son's own possession. We are the people of Jesus, and we want to honor him with that. Thank you, Jesus. Can I have the worship team come back up and lead us in a song? Why don't we stand up, please?
so much for worshiping with us you guys i hope you have a great rest of your sunday and we'll see you next week